You're tuned into the Mid-10 Listens Podcast, hosted by MiddleTennesseeMusic.com. Supporting and empowering the independent music community online since 2011. Head on over to our website to find more music, as well as to learn about our Indie Musicpreneurs Tribe, where we share our library of tips and guides on business, entrepreneurship, productivity, social media, digital marketing, email marketing, websites, and much more. You can also check out our book, Getting Your Music Heard Online, now on Amazon as a paperback and Kindle. Welcome to another episode of the Mid-10 Listens Podcast. It's your host, Joshua Smotherman, MiddleTennesseeMusic.com, and today we are tuned in with Canood, and I hope I pronounced that right. My apologies if I butchered that. So let's just jump right into it. Tell us where you're from and what style of music you create, and you can use your own words. We don't need genre categories or traditional marketing terms. So yeah, where I'm from, it's kind of a mixed bag. I was a Navy brat and my parents moved to Houston, Texas, which was just devastated by a 800-year flood with this hurricane and tropical storm Harvey. So right now I'm really uh, feeling for all my friends and and fans and family back in the Houston area and all along the Gulf Coast of Texas. Thankfully, none of my family's property or homes were directly affected in the Houston area, but I'm just swarmed with um, uh, testimonials from people who were helping other neighbors and friends and and just all the goodwill that's uh, come uh, up because of this, you know, incredibly unusual storm. But that's where I spent a lot of time growing up um, in the Houston area from about age 6 to 16, so I guess the majority of my youth was spent in, uh, in Houston. And since that time, I've lived in a lot of different places throughout the years making music. There was a whole stretch throughout the 1990s where I lived in New York and uh, some time spent overseas in Germany and Stockholm at one point. But yeah, the style of music that I create, it's a blend of a lot of different singer-songwriter styles anywhere from, you know, kind of alt-country to rock, indie rock, um, a little bit harder edge, but not over the top. I mean, I think, generally speaking, most of the music I've released is, uh, or attempts to be, organic uh, singer-songwriter music using real instruments and real performers, even though they may all not be performing in the studio at the same time. Uh, I like to call my music Americronica, which is the name of one of the songs on my new record, Colors. It's just a funny name I came up for uh, being an American and our chronic nature in so many different ways that may be construed or, or interpreted. Um, so that's kind of my, my, genre, my self-proclaimed <laughs> genre, I guess. So tell us what led you down this path of music and what are some of the things that keep you going? Boy, that is a hard question to answer. So what led me down the path of music? Um, I started out as a kid, um, maybe around the age of 10, doing student theater productions. I think I was always leaning towards the performing arts and um, early on caught the acting bug, doing shows. Um, Yeah, this is funny, the first theater 
piece I ever had a role in was uh, a combination of The Wizard of Oz and The Wiz, and I'm kind of showing my age here, but it was at the time where The Wiz with Michael Jackson and Diana Ross had come out in the late 70s, I guess, almost maybe close to 1980, and was a big uh, success. And that was kind of a retelling of the classic Wizard of Oz using, obviously, African-American performers. And uh, the school I was at in Houston did a production where we mixed some of the storyline, well, and the, mostly the songs from The Wizard of Oz and The Wiz to kind of capitalize on that, the success of that movie, um, the retelling of that movie from that time. The Wiz. Anywho, I, um, over the years, I was kind of a lackluster teenage piano student, and uh, although I was just captivated by music and learned through ear training and just picking up books and sitting with other musicians or the older siblings of musicians I knew or, or um, uh, older siblings who were musicians of, of classmates of mine, I should say and was able to pick up enough where I had got my ear really uh, pretty well uh, trained to be able to sit and figure out music. Although I, like so many pop musicians at, at this point, I'm, I, my big blind spot would be being a good sight reader because I didn't progress very far as a traditional music student. So my sight reading was very, um, and remains pretty basic. Um, but I, it's just one of those things. I had a piano in my household. My mom had a, a family piano, and even though I didn't really continue with my traditional lessons, I just set, kept sitting at the piano and eventually picked up the guitar as a late teenager, a little bit more in depth, and had a few um, bands, you know, little school bands, cover bands that I was involved in, and um, really, I guess, my first sort of semi-professional opportunities were I was a, a freshman in college in LA and I made some demos with a guy who I answered an ad for. This is back in the late 80s, so it was pre-internet. So I was looking at probably the LA Weekly or some other you know, magazine um, newspaper in LA and I answered an ad to make some demos. Nothing came of that, and I moved to New York that year in, in the uh, summer of 88, and sometime over those couple months, maybe August or September of 88, I answered an ad in the Village Voice uh, for somebody that was looking for a songwriting partner, and that was a fellow named Barry Christopher, and that was my real first songwriting partnership, and he was a vocalist, and um, we collaborated on f for a year or so on a number of demos uh, where I was providing mostly music and backing vocals and I was playing the piano or electric keyboard mainly at the time I think it was a DX7-2 I believe the, the classic Yamaha keyboard and uh, we were recording some very basic demos um, which later on when I moved back to New York in, there, in, in um, the summer, late summer of 93 I basically rejoined what had been the beginnings um, of that songwriting project, which became a New York band called Mind Over Matter. That was sort of the beginnings of my music career, and even around that time in the early 90s, I was able to also have a my first real professional big break while I was in college in Austin, even before I moved back to New York in 93. A uh, college roommate of mine, I was 
uh, in a music class at UT, University of Texas, an electronic music class, and a few other classes I was taking for my minor in music. And um, a classmate of mine had a little apartment studio, and so I was doing a lot of demos with him. And he was his name was Eric, and Eric was dating um, a woman in college at the time, and and this woman's sister was the uh, girlfriend and, and later on the wife of Robert Rodriguez, the film director, who's gone on to great success. And so Robert had come to Eric and, and in turn the two of us to uh, create a bunch of music for this little 16-millimeter film he'd shot down on the border of Mexico, and uh, which turned out to be El Mariachi. And so I scored quite a bit of music for that film, the two of us did. And um, that turned out to be one a huge break for me at that time in my early 20s, uh, uh, having the opportunity to have a film, actually a Spanish-language film, which was really unprecedented, actually have a theatrical run uh, for a short maybe two weeks or so. But in, I think that was late 92, maybe, early 93, around, I think it was around Christmas time, because I remember taking my family to go see the movie in the movie theater. And again, this is all pre-internet era, so it really was that old kind of classic indie film of the 80s and early 90s era, especially in Austin, where people like Richard um, Linklater and Robert Rodriguez and another friend of mine, Wes Anderson, were all kind of coming, uh, coming of age and, and having opportunities in the film uh, industry. So that was a big break and, and um, gave me uh, some fire to continue on uh, as a songwriter and musician. So how is your new release different from things you've released in the past? And just out of curiosity, were you trying to accomplish anything specific with this project? So this latest release is called Colors, and how is it different than previous ones? Well, it's, it's fairly similar, I guess, production-wise to most of my previous efforts. Um, I've been releasing my own music for 20 years now, and originally, uh, after that, the Mind Over Matter era, that was a band in New York where we did quite a, a lot of work and demos and chasing after some record deals that didn't pan out. Um, afterwards, I, I had an alias that I'd taken on because my last name is Knudsen, and so growing up in the U.S., that name, uh is just a phonetically challenging name for people here. So and my wife is married into it now, so I joke with her that she married into, you know, having to explain how to pronounce her last name uh, uh, for the rest of her life with any customer service person she talks to on the telephone. But, um, but yeah, I suppose it's, it's a continuation um, of of my whole songwriting career and my whole recording career, um, starting out with that alias, which was Val Holler. And I did release, um, a couple of releases that are available widespread on, you know, all the digital platforms at, at, at this point. And then later on as Canood, which is basically my last name or a nickname of my last name with an extra vowel thrown in there just to make make it clear that there is the pronunciation of the K, whereas the K-N, uh, you know, is typically not pronounced in, in English, like knife or knee or no, like I know somebody. 
but our last name in in uh, Northern Europe is uh, always pronounced uh, as the name Knut or Knud, uh, with the K and the N both being pronounced. So, but yeah, so that uh, that record colors, which came out a few months ago, um, I think what I wanted to accomplish. Yeah, this was a crowdfunded record. I hadn't done that before, and so. I accomplished one thing in particular was I really wanted to work with uh, a drummer who'd worked with Jeff Buckley. His name is Matt Johnson, and he's he's performed with uh, so many great artists, including over the past number of years he's been on tour as the touring drummer for St. Vincent, who's a really talented, uh, also Texan, originally Texan-based uh, singer-songwriter in the electro-alternative realm, I guess. And has a great record with David Byrne. And uh, Matt, I had known just a little bit sort of casually in New York back in the mid-90s era when Grace, the Jeff, Jeff Buckley record came out, and I was performing. I wasn't really tight with Jeff, but we performed at the same club, Chennai and, and another club, Arlene Grocery. There, were, there was a little scene in New York in the early and mid late 90s of the East Village uh, music scene and so I had Matt is also from originally from Houston and I had wanted to record with him and he'd worked with another um, music colleague of mine Eric Jarvis on a number of projects and anyway I was able to lock down Matt uh, on a couple days uh, in Chicago when he was off tour back in late 2014 and so we found a studio uh, Shirk Studios Stephen Shirk shout out to him if you're in Chicago great little studio um, and near Wicker Park and we found a local bass player um, uh, a fellow named Brian Doherty and um, and we were able to do all the basic tracks there uh, in a couple days, so I, that was great. I was able to um, get the basics, the skeleton down, um, where I played uh, Wurlitzer electric piano and electric guitar, I think, on most of the songs, and scratch vocals, and um, that was all in, in the uh, uh, with the focus and the determination to get that crowdfunded record um, done. So that, uh, that record is out now, and some of the songs I'll be talking about probably in some of these additional um, interview questions um, are featured on the record Like Colors, the, the title song, uh, and Americronica, which I mentioned before. And a lot of great songs that have been just building up over the years, I guess, since my last formal record, the Canood record, which was my 2008 debut. Um, this record is closer to that record, I would say, the, this record Colors. Um, there is a record from that I did uh, a digital-only release um, called Kingdom, and that was all done in the box, very eclectic, and it's, I call it electro-gospel. It was basically, I had a church gig in Austin where I did a, um, created a program like a music residency, like when you go to a club and see somebody perform every week on the same night, you know, it's called a residency. And so I basically took that idea and I booked local artists in Austin and created a residency at a church called St. David's in downtown in Austin over the course of, of about five or six years. 
uh, up until about 2016 when I moved out of the area. But in the meantime, I learned a lot of great material when I had that responsibility and um, in 2013 I produced a record on my own and uh, kind of an experimental record taking mostly covers of gospel tunes and some hymns and just working them all within Logic, at, which was the program I was using for that record, and um, creating my own little sort of subgenre called Electro Gospel. So that record's very different than the Canood debut and, and this new record Colors in that it was all done electronically in, in the box, as they say, or you know within a program. Besides uh, the mic, the vocals, I think that's the only thing that came from outside the, uh, the music program, my recording uh, software. And I hope you enjoy that record. Cool, cool. So what are some of the challenges... Um that you face as an independent musician in this oversaturated, everyone has access to releasing music at all times stage of where we're at. And um, we know technology helps. It's helping us right now. So how does it help you? Wow, this is a question um, that I have wrestled with for a number of years now, like so many musicians, uh, especially musicians who kind of grew up like me um, before and came of age, I, should, I would say, in the uh, maybe late 80s into the 90s. Since I'm 48 now, I've been doing this for a long time, and the question, um, you know, challenges of an indie musician in the digital age and how technology helps us, it really is, is a long conversation that I probably can't cover here, and it's certainly covered on so many different uh, social media sites and, and resources online. But it's um, it is difficult. I think music in the '90s and 2000s uh, became devalued because of the advent of sh uh, sharing technology like Napster, and and that was a good thing in some ways, but it's certainly uh, challenging in other ways. I mean. If you look forward into the future, and maybe grocery stores will, will eventually have the same problems. I mean, the physical world, and, and this is kind of the futuristic part of myself talking, but if 3D printing uh, keeps advancing, and say like you could buy a 3D printer that could print an orange or a carton of milk, then, you know, it's happened with, uh, with Amazon and, and companies, um, uh, basically looking forward and taking the market share from brick and mortar stores like what happened with record stores or, or, or video stores because of the type of technology of music recording and video recording is essentially locked in to um, an abstract of, of, of a technical medium as opposed to the physical world those technologies were the first to fall uh, and become uh, uh, decapitalized, I guess, is the only word I can think of in the sense that you could upload or download content uh, and, and the written word, of course. I mean, the same thing happened with, uh, with the publishing industry for novels and newspapers. and So really anything that was essentially um, could be um, digitized uh, initially, which is all of this word content, uh, you know, books, uh, music, videos, films, TV, all that stuff. 
I mean, I think film and TV has rebounded with with some of the newer technologies, uh, newer um, mediums like Hulu or Netflix. From I mean, and I don't know if the film, you know, there's not as many mom and pop shop film companies that probably uh, they've probably fallen hard like the mom and pop shop record labels, like my little record label, which is infinitesimally small compared to others. Lightstone Records. It just basically supports my own releases. Or my little publishing company, which uh, Taffeta Music, where I collect very nominal real royalties from uh, film and TV placements like True Blood and, and the El Mariachi soundtrack. Um, so it, it obviously creates, on a small scale, technologies for musicians, I would say, huge opportunities to to get a little bit of a groundswell. And I think for younger people who are teenagers or in their 20s now and who never grew up with, um, grew up, I should say, just in the analog era. I mean, when I was a kid, I had a record player. I had a cassette player. I didn't have cable TV um, in the 70s, you know, when I was before the age of 10. Uh, that was the analog era. I didn't. We didn't have an answering machine. We did have a telephone. We had a TV set, you know, with 13 channels or whatever. The, where you'd flip the uh, VHF and the UHF channels and all that, and you tuned in at, at whatever time to watch your shows, um, or you, or you tuned in on the radio to listen to the King Biscuit Flower Hour or whatever show, you know, whatever weekly programming or, or live uh, broadcasts you would want it to to check out, and you had to you you, you couldn't record them. I mean. I could. I remember I recorded the Who's farewell concert in 1982. Isn't that a joke? I think they've gone on to do another five or maybe even ten farewell tours since 1982. But um, but regardless, yeah, I was so excited. I recorded it on a cassette deck uh, from the radio and did a little commentary. And I would do all sorts of stuff like that, you know, using a cassette recorder to make tapes and programs and and whatnot. Um, so the challenges, uh, I suppose the challenges may be different for somebody who's younger who can take advantage. I, I think really the, the, the challenge for most musicians has been how to be just a musician in the, in the new world of the digital, uh, you know, the, the world of YouTube. How do you do that full time without branding yourself as a 360 brand, as a, as a Vine sensation, as a YouTuber, as a... Um, you know, if you get bigger like the Taylor Swifts or the Beyonce's of the world or whomever, as a uh, as a 360 brand entity who has clothing lines and perfume lines and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. TV shows, YouTube channels, I mean, it goes on and on. So music becomes maybe 5 or 10 or 15% or maybe 20% if you're a really big music star or more of your revenue uh, pie. So really, that to me is the key challenge. Can you be just a musician without having uh, the luxury of ongoing family or private support just to subsidize your life um, and, and not being able to reach uh, a wider scale and still support whatever artistry you're trying to do? For a long time, and I was lucky to be in a family where I've had occasional support to get me through the lean times, certainly, and... 
I think now with young children, I'm in a different place and I'm not out on tour and, and I'm looking, you know, still always, now that I'm the resident of Portland, Oregon and new to the Northwest, um, I've moved around so much with my wife and kids, especially over the last year, that um, it's difficult. I, I, I'm not in a position to get, get in the van and go, you know, as Henry Rollins said, and I think that was even the name of his autobiography or one of them. I, I don't have any desire to go out and play to the sound man and play to maybe two, three, four, five, maybe 10, maybe 15 or 20 drunk people in a bar. It's just not interesting for me now. So that's the challenge. If you're into that and you don't care and you're, you're 18, 20, 22 years old, I mean, go for it. It's, it's exciting just to be off and discovering America. Maybe you're writing some blog. Uh, you know, from your Wi-Fi connection or, or, or from your laptop or you're doing a podcast or you're doing a, a travel show. I mean, I've had all sorts of great ideas al along uh, the way as, uh, of my years as a musician about how to support yourself while you're on the road. And maybe the, maybe the, the, um, the opportunities really are there to, if you want to be an indie musician, figure out how you can make money now. I mean, with connectivity... And if you're able to use a cell phone and a computer to make money uh, while you're traveling, whether it's through coding or phone support or writing a successful blog or whatever, I don't know, having an e-commerce store of some kind, man, you can do it. And, and, and the world's your oyster. So those are the opportunities and, and technology, if you can lock in and do that, as a young person, uh, send me a note, you know, tell me how it's going. Tell me if you're looking for investors, if I have extra money, I would love to invest in you, you know? I mean, whatever. I mean, it's, it's an amazing new world and um, the opportunities are there if you get inside your heart space and get out of your head space and just see them and be in the moment. Uh, my opportunities looking, I'm looking into different areas of wellness and sound therapy, sound and light therapy. I'm getting really passionate about the power of sound to transform people on a physiological level that's even beyond my wildest dreams or recollections of standing in front of a 12-foot subwoofer at Lollapalooza or, or the Tibetan Freedom Concert in New York or, or whatever, being on stage in, in, in front of people, whether it's 10 people at a smoky, dingy, smelly bar or maybe hundreds or even on the rare cases for me personally, a thousand or more people. Um, you know, that's a, that's a high. But, you know, now with fiberacoustic sound and new technologies, the wellness uh, uh, arena of sound baths, and sound therapy and light therapy, I think we're craving that in our world of, of screen addiction. So that's the new technology and, and kind of a primal sound technology that I'm getting into. And, those, and, and I wouldn't call that digital. I, I call that more of, a, of, of, of getting back to the analog uh, uh, experience, which I'm excited about and I'd love to talk to you more about. And if you want to check out my website, besides Canude, K-A-N-U-D-E.com, which is the, uh, uh, the music site, check out my wellness website, and it's still growing as I'm building whatever this business evolves into. It's called Light Body Sound, L-I-G-H-T-B-O-D-Y, Sound, S-O-U-N-D.com, Light Body Sound, and I have a company called Light Body, 
It's all about taking your body with you. And I'm exploring that. And I really want to keep growing my network and sharing with people, anybody who's listening. Go to that site. Check it out. If you're into sound, if you're into music to begin with, if you're a songwriter or a musician, I'd love to talk with you about that. And I'd especially love to talk to people across the country in the U.S. here and, and definitely on the, in, on the West Coast and in the Pacific Northwest. But wherever you are globally, if you're listening right now, if your heart is, is aching for people to raise the vibration of their bodies into a new consciousness like mine, like my heart reaches out to, my, my raison d'etre, my, my, my call to action is to collect, connect and, uh, with people that are on this mission of deep uh, healing and uh, through sound. So where's the best place for us to connect with you so we can discover more music and be uplifted and find out more about what you're into and what you're about? Because it sounds really awesome and really deep and that's kind of those kinds of things usually make great music. So where's the best place for us to connect with you? So again, if you want to check out the latest music, go to canood.com. That's K, A as in Alpha, N as in November, U as in Uniform, D as in Delta, E as in Echo.com. That'll link you to the recordings. Just search that name, Canood, on Google. If you want to go to iTunes or other uh, digital retailers, you'll be able to do, find me there, Val Holler. Uh, there's no website for Val Holler at this point. Maybe I'll put some music out under that name in the future, but that's also linked to that Canood website, uh, which I think presently goes to Bandcamp. When I have more shows lined up, you'll see that uh, in the future. There's not a tour lined up at present. I'd love to go on tour again, but I, there's nothing going on as of yet. Uh, there are some great videos on YouTube uh, for my song Wheels um, and Find Your Way Home. Uh, some videos I've done in the past and some great songs that I'm really proud of. So go to YouTube and type in Canood again and, and uh, those song names. And, you know, subscribe or like those videos or reach out to me directly through my contact page on Bandcamp. And we can collaborate. And I uh, look forward to hearing you. Uh, obviously liking or subscribing on Facebook or whatever other social media, Twitter, um, is always great. But p- connecting with people deeply, personally, uh, especially on the sound healing front, you know, lightbodysound.com, which I mentioned before, is a great way to see what I'm doing now in addition to just the music and the songwriting as more of a entertainment and infotainment medium. But the spiritual connection through Light Body Sound is where I feel my path is going in the future, and I'm really excited about the prospects and connecting with people um, in the sound therapy and sound healing communities. And thank you. Namaste. I want to say thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. And is there anything else you'd like to add or say or anyone you'd like to shout out before we sign off? Lastly, thanks again to Jonathan Smotherman and Middle Tennessee Music. I'm happy to be part of their... Uh, experience for you and to offer what, uh, whatever I can to your musical journey. Um, Middle Tennessee Music is at midtnmusic.com. Jo- Joshua also has a website, Indie Music Preneurs, I N D E M U S I C P R E N E U R S.com. And check that out. Uh, Joshua's a great resource for acoustic and 
all sorts of other types of music. Um, Again, thank you for listening, and I look forward to seeing you out there. Blessings. Thank you for tuning in to the Mid-10 Listens 5 at 5. If you want to show your support for MiddleTennesseeMusic.com in this podcast, check out our book, Getting Your Music Heard Online, available from our website as well as Amazon in formats Kindle and paperback. You can also show your support by subscribing and rating this podcast on iTunes. Doing so will improve your well-being, increase joy, and bring good karma to you. It might also improve your online marketing skills, your online presence, and help you get your music heard by more people.